This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everyone, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In today's broadcast, we're talking about conditional prophecy. Uh, Are there prophetic words that we might be able to get ourselves out of? Well, all that and more in this episode. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. We've had a lot of fun this week producing really good content, some hard content that was hard for us to produce, but all the more, we've really enjoyed producing the content we have. Uh, If you've enjoyed that content, there are links in the description, and you can choose to support us if you really enjoyed it. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a recurring gift on Patreon. If you choose to give on Patreon, you get access to extra content. So it's five bucks a month. You can get some extra stuff there on Patreon. Uh, And you might have noticed, hey, that intro video is getting a little dated our buddy Michael Miller is still not in there for the Wednesday episode. Don't worry, he's going to be added soon. Uh, so since he doesn't get added, I'm going to give you guys like bio updates. Okay, Michael Miller is the senior pastor and planter. He's his mic is muted right now, so he can't cut me off. Of Reclamation Church in Denver, and Michael Roundtree's bio probably hasn't been updated either. It says he's the senior pastor of uh, Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City. So I just want to really make sure to get all that content out there. If you want to follow these guys, I'm going to start putting their links in the description so you can go sit in their services and critique their sermons. Anyway, uh, guys, how are y'all doing today? Uh, you know, here in Oklahoma, in the basement. <laughs> uh, I'm doing. And they're in Oklahoma. I'm doing really well. It's just really uh, a blessing, Josh, to be introduced in the intro video, unlike Basement Boy over there. No, I get Michael that. Miller. <laughs> I get no love, you man. Who aren't I get no love. Many Our are called fewer names. Michael you know is Basement Boy. Put it. Put the uh, put the camera on Michael. Um, Michael films from his basement. He ha- I, he has like three feet of space in that in that little corridor. Um, we make fun of him because Sarah has to pass. His wife has to pass him food under uh, under the door. Uh, At but least under she's you know she's yeah, but she's keeping you alive, giving you just enough. So mm-hmm. th- thankful Pray- for that, man. Praise God. <laughs> well, uh, today, in, uh, in Josh, March, is- I get to see the sun, supposedly, in North Carolina. Is that true? Is, do I get to come out of the basement for that weekend in March? Oh, man, that's going to be good. What a good way good. to Hope- segue into our conference in March. March what? 7th through the 4th, the Remnant Healing and Deliverance Conference. You can go check that out. Hey, in the I have hair in that photo. There you go. You have what in that photo? I have hair. <laughs> you- I was about to say, <laughs> did, did it, it fall out? Oh, you I mean was like not, not aware. Well, I, I had a this week I did a conference in Cincinnati and somebody was like, whoa, dude, I, I thought you just wore a hat because you were bald. <laughs> He's like, you actually have hair. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's a miracle. God did this just for so, this weekend. <laughs> some people, those who don't call him basement boy. Uh, we'll call him hats oftentimes because he's always wearing a hat. But Michael, you have a, actually a very 
Absalom like uh, head of hair there. So I'm not <laughs> saying anything about your character, but uh, I'm surprised you don't show it off a little more. Jeez, anyway, Louise. we okay, better jump into the turn. content or else we'll do just banter for the first 30 minutes of the show. Uh, so we're talking about conditional prophecy here. Are, are all prophetic words conditional? And Josh, I noticed in your introduction, you said, you know, is there a way that we can wiggle out of it? So we, you know, part of this is the the guys that we were all discussing was we do these videos and in January we review prophecy. So we're all continuations. We we believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're all for today. Uh, we practice prophecy every Sunday uh, in our churches. We're all pastors. We're, and and so uh, we're we're very continuations. At the same time, we want to help bring some reform to the continuationist movement. Sometimes it. Uh, it goes a little off the rails. And so we think that that's happened with a lot of these national prophecies. People are like, Michael, could you just do an episode on like somebody who got it right? We did all these reviews and nobody got it right. Nobody got any predictions right pretty much for this uh, last year. And so uh, anyway, we if you guys find somebody that got it right, please send that name to us. But one of the ways that people will kind of wiggle out of a missed prophecy is they say, well, it was conditional. You know, and the people didn't repent and therefore God didn't send revival or, you know, one of those kind of things. So we want to take a little bit of a look into conditional prophecy. How's that for a little prelude, guys? You have anything to add to what I said before we jump into the uh, into the scriptures and the and the different top kind of subtopics we have here? You know, the only thing I would say that's that I would like to, to preface with is I think in past episodes, I had a view of certain scriptures that we're about to cover and I've changed my position on it because of research for this episode. So kind of excited about that and uh, just kind of goes to show I'm not right about everything. And you're going to see the area in which I was wrong about something in this episode. Fantastic. I love any episode that we can say that Miller was wrong. Um, additionally, uh, I think it's so you love every episode. That, uh, I think it's <laughs> also important that we, we grab uh, the context of, of what we were talking about because there the 2020 prophecies that took place, Donald Trump's going to be president, Donald Trump's going to be president, Donald Trump's going to be president. It's going to be a year of health, wealth, and blessing. It's going to be a year, stadiums full of people. You know, COVID happens. Nobody saw that. There was supposed to be prosperity. It was supposed to be Trump's next, you know, uh, cycle of presidency, his next, uh, what do you call it? Uh, his next term was the word I was looking for. All this stuff was supposed to happen in 2020. And we had three different groups of people um, that, that, you know, engaged with their prophetic word that didn't come to pass. One, they ignored that it happened, right? Two, they they said these all these prophetic words are conditional. So you didn't pray enough, you didn't believe enough, you didn't do something. That's why this thing didn't come to pass. Um, you know, or or three, they just doubled down and said it did happen somehow spiritually. I, I just don't know. Um, so those are typically the ways that people have engaged with this. There was a few guys, I guess, that did repent. You got guys like Jeremiah Johnson who went out of their way and said, hey guys. Um, you know, I, I predicted that Trump would be president in this term. You know, I got that wrong. I'm sticking a uh, taking a step back, sitting under church discipline, really trying to pray through how I could have let this happen if I've really allowed nationalism to sway me. Um, you had other guys who were like, if you are sowing discord amongst the prophets, God hates you, right? Because that's something that God hates is people who sow discord. So if you don't trust the prophets, God hates you. I mean, there are people who double down. Uh, but then there's just another group of people. I remember watching videos of Robert Henderson who's saying, hey, all prophetic words are just opportunities for us to partner with God in prayer to see something happen in the earth. Um, and that is such a loose and unbiblical definition of prophecy that we had to confront that and respond to that. And I think that this video will help us take the time necessary to do something like that. 
Uh, do one of you guys want to jump in and uh, engage with some texts? Sure, sure. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll introduce the topics, and Miller, uh, you can jump in and talk to us a little bit about that first topic of fixed prophetic words that do not change. So, uh, mm-hmm. so we we'll talk through. We have five categories of prophecy. The first one is fixed prophecy, like this is going to happen no matter what, nobody can change it. We'll give you some examples of that. Then we have delayed fulfillment of prophecy. Like, can somebody make a prophecy uh, and say, this is going to happen, and then something changes so that it still happens, it's just delayed. We'll look at that. We have diverted or conditional, and so we'll look at a prophecy from Jeremiah for that. Uh, Then we'll talk about like a, a false spirit, like a demonically inspired prophecy that exists. We'll look at that too. And then people just kind of prophesying out of their own imagination. They just fabricated it. And so five categories of prophecy that we're going to walk through. Miller is going to take us through the first one, fixed prophetic words that will not change. What are some examples of that from the scripture, Michael? Well, we've got four listed on here. One that I'm going to add to it because it's already been fulfilled, like the coming of the Messiah. It was fixed. We knew this was going to happen. It was just a matter of time, and, and it's already happened. The Messiah has come. Um, and then other fixed words that have yet to happen. The Messiah is coming back, the return of Jesus, the perusia of Christ. And then uh, other prophetic words like you. the coming judgment, which is told uh, in Hebrews 6, 2, which uh, is sort of like one of the foundations of our faith is that God is judge, and there's coming a day of eternal judgment. And then we have like the coming down of the new uh, Jerusalem that's going to happen at the end of the age. Um, but these are so these are going to happen. Doesn't matter what we do. No amount of uh, repentance or lack thereof is going to change these facts from actually coming to pass. And then uh, other words like what we see with the covenants in Deuteronomy uh, thirty nineteen. You know, I set before you life and death. Choose life that your life may go well and you be blessed in the promised land. Versus, you know, disobey the covenants and things will go poorly for you. Like those things are conditionally rooted, um, as well as Genesis twenty-two, uh, fifteen. Genesis uh, twenty-two is actually the opposite. It's it's something that's not. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a promise. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You got it. Why don't you fill? Yeah, okay. So yeah. So so in in, in Genesis twenty-two, fifteen through seventeen, this is interpreted in Galatians, a text that I'm preaching through right now. So it's fresh on my mind. Uh, the angel of the Lord uh, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, "Hey." Uh, uh, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not held your own son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, the sand of the sea. Uh, this passage is now interpreted in Galatian by the Apostle Paul as saying that it says offspring, not offsprings, and saying this is about Jesus. And in this passage, he says, I have sworn by myself. So it appears that there are certain predictions that seem to be contingent on the people, right? Like God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And like, I'm going to bless Israel. But then Israel decides, I'm going to go whore after other gods. And then it seems as if that kind of blessing is conditional on their obedience, according to Deuteronomy 30, 19, that, that Miller just referenced. And then there are other promises that seem to be rooted Im- immutably in the very nature and character of God. He swears by his own authority and his own name. So like you mentioned, crucifixion, resurrection, you know, uh, you know, eternal judgment, the, the coming down of Jerusalem, these things are rooted in the very nature and promise of God himself within himself, and they will happen no matter what kind of demonic activity or rebellion from humanity or faithfulness of humanity, these things will happen, and they're destined in the, the history and mind of God. So, um, okay. 
So yeah, I'm so those are the little kind of categories. Minor, minor pushback. Although okay, I okay. do agree with what you said, but I'll give some minor pushback. Um, so let, let's go with second coming. So the second coming, and we've got uh, judgment and resurrection, a, a lot kind of locked up in that kind of depending on one's eschatological view. Uh, but but just kind of looking specifically at the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus to this earth. Let's look at that specifically. Um, this is what Second Peter 3 says, verse 11. After he talks about the heavenly bodies to be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done will be uh, will be exposed. So and and the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So the day of the Lord, a judgment on the earth, the return of Christ. And he says, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, etc. Now, uh, it seems to me that the that the language of hastening is trying to communicate that our obedience determines on some level the timing of the Lord's return. In fact, in this same chapter, uh, Peter will say, like, the Lord's not slow in fulfilling his promise, but he wants, you know, everybody, I think it's verse 9 or so, Actually, here it is, uh, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay, now that could depend on one's view of election there. Uh, but we might say like, hey, if you view election as I do, <laughs> uh, God has a certain number of elect. And once that number comes in, then the Lord will return. And uh, so you have it there, which is really closely related to Matthew twenty four fourteen when it says, uh, that this gospel uh, of the kingdom will be preached, preached in all nations and then the end will come, which seems to suggest that a lot of people will take, especially missiologists and people in the missions world will take it this way. Like, hey, if we once we reach every tongue, tribe and nation or once we once we really get the gospel out out there and penetrate all these different ethno-linguistic people groups, etc., then Jesus will come back and, uh, you know, finishing the task becomes a, a major part of that missional language. But all of those kind of verses put together... Guys, could one argue that the sort of response of the people of God on the earth determines somewhat the timing of the Lord's return so that perhaps this should fall in prophetic words that can be delayed rather than merely ones that will not uh, will not change? Um, well, I guess we <laughs> I could argue with myself on this. It be, can be hastened versus can be delayed. And in this case, I really don't have a problem with the idea that a word could or that, that something God has prophesied could come about sooner than um, or that could come about. Yeah, sooner rather than later because of our participation. But the question is, will it happen and can it be stopped? And in this case, I would say it's absolutely fixed. It's not going to be stopped. The question is, right. what part do we get to play in it and how can we hasten that? return. And I think evangelism to the nations, certainly, why not? I think prayer, certainly, why not? Why else would we be told, pray, Maranatha, Lord, come? There's a sense in which mm -hmm. like, we're supposed to pray those words, and, and we desperately pray those words anyways, because things are tough here. Um, yeah. So, as, go ahead. As, as a non-Calvinist, I just say yes, and, like, that just, that makes sense. Uh, uh, one, he, God has assigned certain people, um, all of us as Christians, to preach repentance and faith to both Jews and Gentiles, right? Like we're called to do that, but then God also grants repentance, right? So it can be a both and. 
Um, does God know the time and the hour? Yeah, the Father in heaven knows the time and the hour that the Son will return full stop. That's within the heart and mind of God. It's been purposed. It's been destined. He is omniscient. He knows how it's all going to to, to unfold. Um, and and that even that unfold makes it sound like he is a you know uh, a passerby. Like he's a deist of some kind. He's not involved. Like he's actively participating in the unfolding of this drama. I don't want to make it sound as if he's non-participatory. Um, but so, yes, I think that in one sense, the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, like Romans 11, is a prerequisite yeah, for the, the the hardness of the heart of Israel to be removed in order for God to woo this people back in the last day. I do think that there's probably a plan and purpose in the heart of God that we participate in. So I think in one real human sense of like God commanding humans to do something and that there's an incentive on the other side of that, um, you know, you can also say that God knows and has purposed how this is going to come about. Um, it's like saying, yeah. who killed Jesus? Did the Romans kill Jesus? Did the father kill Jesus? Um, did um, our sin, the you know, devil. did the devil kill Jesus? Yeah. Like the answer to those questions is yes. And th- I know that's complicated, but it just, it is true. So um, that's right. Yeah. Because even as we talk about like, you know, could the Lord's coming be hastened? And in my mind, if it can be hastened, that can be it. That, that would mean that it could also be not hastened or delayed. Um, still, the Father knows the day and the hour. So he's omniscient. He still knows. He's not He's not like waiting up here like, oh, no, what's the church going to do? Oh, I, I guess I'll have to wait to come. Like, no, he knows in advance. We're not open theists over here. And, and so there's like this, there can be both a fixed day, but as far as like the, the kind of human side of it, there can be like, it can be maybe be the timing of it conditioned uh, on the behavior of the church. We could hasten the day of the Lord. I have a couple other examples that I think are worth talking about in this department. I think uh, Genesis 15, the Lord tells Abraham, your descendants are going to be held in captivity for 400 years. That's a fixed thing. The Lord says it. There's nothing that can change it. It's just going to happen. I also think of later in the book of Genesis when the cupbearer and the baker have uh, the dreams and uh, and then the Pharaoh has the two, has the two dreams. And, and each time, it's always two dreams, two dreams, two dreams, even when Joseph has his dreams in, in Genesis 40, uh, 37. Uh, yes, 37. It, and, and you learn why whenever he's explaining to Pharaoh, and he says, your two dreams are really the same. And the fact that it's two says that it will come to pass. We need to do another episode on dream interpretation. I know, but, I was uh, thinking that. It, yeah, but, uh, but for Joseph, in interpreting the two dreams, that meant like this is decreed, there is nothing that can change it. There's going to be seven years of plenty and then followed by seven years of famine. And so there are times when the Lord will just say this can be decreed. And the fact that Joseph says that implies that there are times when it's not an absolute decree. And we will get to those shortly. So I want to make those comments. I'll let you guys comment on those in just a second. But I want to make one more. And this is just a fascinating verse. One of the most famous in the Bible. And it's Esther 4.14. It says this. It says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Um, but you but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into, into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so you've heard that phrase, for such a time as this, it comes from that verse. Well, and, and so here's Mordecai. And, and he's saying, like, deliverance will come for the Jews. But if you are not obedient here, the Lord's going to raise up some other deliverer. And so this kind of introduces a new component of like the deliverance is fixed, but who gets to participate in it is, uh, you know, Esther has her opportunity and by God's grace, she takes advantage of that opportunity. And now she has a book named after herself in the Bible. 
But Mordecai's point is, Esther, if you're not obedient in this, God will find another way. So with all of those examples, guys, I want to hear your kind of uh, your feedback on those, and then we'll jump to the second category. What do you th- what do you think? I, I don't have a necessarily a comment on those particular passages. I, I agree with all of them. I think they are fixed. I think the um, another passage I would include in this that really speaks to God's nature is um, you know good old Navigator's topical memory system verse that I memorized in high school, uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen. It says, "God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill?" And so the idea is God is different than us. Like we are incapable of actually following through with all of our promises or all the things we intend to do. God is not incapable. He is fully capable of fulfilling his word. And so he is more faithful than we are. He actually fulfills everything he promises, which which kind of, uh, I mean, that's going to play into some of these conditional prophecies that we've heard from in the past uh, several years. And so, but I would take that one to the bank. That That is a very clear and explicit text that when it comes to the things that God prophesies, they are fixed and he will, we know that they will happen because God himself will make them happen because nothing can stop God. His, his purposes Amen. are, uh, um, what do you say? Uh, nobody is big enough to stop them. So, yeah, I, right. I would just say, uh, in, for people who are watching this, that might be of the more cessationist or heretic hunting persuasion. Um, and, and what you might be <laughs> hearing us say right now is, uh, some of God's prophetic words come to pass, but, but there are other kinds of prophetic words that don't come to pass that you're not hearing us correctly. And we're trying not to show our hand too early on in the episode. I, I'll just say right now, of prophetic words are not conditional, right? That's just on the front end. Most prophetic words are not conditional. There are, there is one specific kind of prophetic word that appears to be conditional that we do have source material for, that we do have text for, that do we have examples for, and and more than one. So, uh, and I think that we'll probably share that in this very next kind of when, when a prophetic word is given and it seems to be delayed uh, we'll kind of see how that happens here in this next passage. Uh, Roundtree, you want to you want to take charge there? Yes. Okay. So we'll talk about delayed prophetic words. Let me read First uh, Kings twenty one, beginning in verse twenty. Um, Ahab said to Elijah, "Have you found me, O my enemy?" He answered, "I have found you, because you have sold sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and will cut you uh, cut off." from Ahab, every male, bond or free in Israel, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. Okay, so lots of judgment prophesied. A little bit later, we'll zoom down to verse 27. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. Ahab? Ahab? This wicked Ahab tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth on his flesh, and he fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Okay. All right. That like wouldn't be like a massive comfort to me. I'd be like, ah, okay, cool. My sons can deal with it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm sure Ahab was probably happy about it. The, the weird thing is, I mean, I'll tell you, I don't even know what to do with this, guys. I mean, I, I guess what you can just say is God is immensely merciful. 
because Ahab was like the most wicked dude on the planet at this time. And, uh, you know, he did more evil than anybody before him. And you read those kinds of statements. And then he's just like, God, I'm sorry. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll delay it. But here you have an example of a delayed prophetic word fulfilled not in his days. Elijah seemed to clearly say it was fulfilled in his days. It would be. And then he says, okay, it won't be. So I guess here's my question, guys. Is is God, like, is God breaking it? We know from Hebrews 6, 18, God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So what would you say to somebody who says, well, Michael, Josh, this kind of looks like God lied because he said, you're going, uh, you know, these bad things are going to happen to you. And then okay, they're not going to happen to you. They're going to happen in your son's days. Uh, how, how, do you, how would you guys kind of process through that? Uh, well, I don't, I don't think that's the only example we've got. And you've also got Ahaz, who is supposed to die, and then he prays, and God gives him an extra 10 years, I believe, in Isaiah. Isn't that right? I have that correct. Is it Isaiah? Hezekiah. I mean, uh, I, sorry, Hezekiah. Sorry, it's Hezekiah, not Ahaz. Years. Yeah, yeah. Isaiah 38, yeah. Is it 15 years? Man, extra I don't 15 remember. Years. I'm, I, you guys can do my, my fact checks. I just know that. Some, but the, the fact was that the word was delayed because he prayed. Um, but but there's a big difference between saying somebody lied versus somebody made a decision and then changed their mind on it. And God is actually free to do so. Right. And, and at the end of the day, he didn't actually uh, the, the word still came to pass what he intended to do. So I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call that lying. And I know you're not okay. either, Michael. What is your response, I'm not Josh? calling it lying. No, I mean, I, no, I think I that... The, so we, we, we split these into three different categories, right? One, you've got these unconditional prophetic words, uh, a prophetic word that seems to get pushed back, like delayed. And then a third category that we talked about, uh, prophetic words that, that seem to be diverted or conditional on something. Um, this seems to kind of fall within that rubric of Jeremiah 18 that we're going to get into the next category. There seems to be a sufficient and or significant amount of repentance um, that Ahab is showing. Um, and, and here's what's really important is that when when these sins are repented of, like God actually responds. Like there's like, I don't know, a real Christological message here in that the son of Ahab, right? Like the descendants from the line of David, if you will, uh, is going to receive the penalty of Ahab's sin. Like I, I think you could find a Christological preaching point in there if you really wanted to. Um, uh, but the, I think the, the thrust or the push of the text is saying that this is evil, this is sin, and there shall be judgment for this sin. And then this person said, well, I repent of my sin and God manifest his immutable characteristics, which is he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we sin. So, so this prophetic word, oftentimes what people don't understand is prophecy. They typically expect to be um, a future event predicting something that happens like because of Hollywood we see these crystal balls and tarot cards and we think that they're all predictive of future events that take place but the vast majority of prophetic ministry in the Bible is prophets going to kings or prophets going to to, to people in the nation of Israel or the or the nation of Israel for that matter and saying you have disobeyed the law of God God is ticked and judgment is coming like it was calling people to faithfulness to the law, faithfulness to the covenant. They've been, they've acted immorally. They've walked astray. And there's, and the, the word comes, Hey, God is faithful to his word. He said, blessing or cursing. So you're getting cursing. And then they show up and they'll go, Oh, well we repent. And suddenly God has been faithful to his nature and has relieved or, 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 or um, uh, alleviated them for the consequences of their sin, which again is part of what God does. And, 
I, I don't think that there's anything contrary to this. Um, you know, if I, I come home and the house is really dirty and I tell my kids, oh, you guys are getting whooped. Like, you know, you did not clean this house. You made a huge mess. And I go to the room to get changed and I come out and the house is spotless because they were like, you know, no, like uh, you told us to clean the house and, you know, we're deathly afraid of punishment. So we took care of the house. And it's like I you can see how a, a human person would, would relent of judgment because they took care of something. They they responded in a way that was righteous or good. Um, in response to the the pending judgment that had been predicted on them. No one's going to look at the dad who doesn't spank their kids and go, wow, you're such a pushover. You're such a liar because you didn't spank your kids for, you know, making a messy yeah. house. It's, it's well, funny. Some so, would, uh, we wouldn't call this good. <laughs> so in a recent staff meeting, we had a discussion because sometimes communication can be unclear. And so, uh, and so we kind of broke down communication into, am I proposing this thing, whatever it is, Am I, am I going to use the language of provisional, which means like I, it's just a brainstorm, just kind of throwing mud on the wall here. Or is this a plan? Like I've kind of advanced it. I, I think I'd, I'd really, really like to do this, but I need some feedback. Or is it a promise? Like this is for sure going to happen. And it's almost like we need those same three Ps to help categorize the Lord's language here. Because, you know, in this case, like once we're, we're about to read Jeremiah 18 and uh, and and when we read it, it'll be like, okay, that that even applies to the passage we just read about delayed ju- judgment. Um, so it's so that it's not just like uh, like in, in some case, you know, when we talk about diverted judgment, like even when we will be able to apply it to delayed judgment, and in the sense that what to your point, Josh, like what God says, like at face value, that was true to the moment, so that it was not a lie. But when, in a sequence of events, things changed, then God's behavior toward that person became different from what he originally said. Uh, so so he, it wasn't like he lied. It was almost like he could have used the language of provisional. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I, I think communication can get a little muddy like that sometimes, which is why we have the entirety of the canon, the whole of Scripture, to have examples where God clarifies like, hey— Sometimes when I communicate like this, here's really what I mean. And uh, sometimes there is a provisional element to it. So well, do you think uh, that, that his his command is even untruthful? He says, because you have done this, I will do this. Like, because your room is dirty, you will get a consequence. So what they did was they said, okay, I'm going to clean my room so that that B doesn't logically follow A. Like, you don't even get to a B if you don't have an A. And it seems like people are standing up and repenting of sin and God's saying, I'm bringing judgment for sin. And they go, well, then I'll better take care of my sin. It's like, I don't even, I don't even know that I can quantify it as a lie or a misrepresentation or an unfulfilled prophetic word as much as it is a contingent prophetic word. I think that the the big thing is that God is judge and he's the one making that decision. It's not necessarily, we can repent all day long. There are some things that people even repent from in the scriptures and yet God still carries out his judgment. And so at the end of the day, uh, what he decides to do and whether he changes his mind is entirely on him to do so, regardless of whether you repent or not. Um, But the fact is he's also good. And so he always acts within accordance to his goodness. And so we'll see that in, in the passages upcoming. Slam dunk, Miller. That was, that was good thoughts. Yeah, cool. All right, so let's uh, let's move to the diverted prophecy, okay? This conditional one, uh, conditional explanation in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10, where the Lord just kind of point blank says, this is how I operate, guys. 
just understand this, and, and it's going to bring a lot of clarity. Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 10, it says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent to the to the good of the good that I had intended to do to it. So it's like God saying, I'm going to respond in real time to what you're doing. Now, this is, you know, understanding God is not bound by time. He is the alpha and the omega, just as he is omnipresent all places at all times. Uh, at the same way, with time, he is not bound by human time, yet he can respond in time. And don't ask me to explain how that happens. I have no idea. We're talking about an infinite person, uh, an infinite God. And so, uh, but what we do know is from Jeremiah chapter 18, that is that God, God does promise to respond uh, in a certain way conditioned upon our behavior. Of course, the famous example of this is in Jonah. When you read the very first chapter of Jonah, it's like, tell these tell these people that I'm going to destroy their nation. Jonah's like, okay, he goes and, uh, and they repent, like even down to their cattle. Like the dude is like, I'm going to make my cattle repent. That part always makes me laugh. And, uh, and then at the end of the book in Jonah chapter four, when he's really Jonah's milking kind of... that repentance, am I right? <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> hey, Oh yeah, there you go. Okay. But but at the uh, at the end of the book, Jonah chapter four, Jonah explains why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. And he says, I, I didn't want to go because I know the kind of God you are. You're merciful and you might show mercy to them. So Jonah, even in preaching, you're all going to be judged. He actually knew they might not like Jonah was aware this was a conditional prophecy, even as he delivered it. And uh, and so. And so Jonah's, I think, like the the prime example of that. You guys have any other examples you think are worth talking about? Miller, well, you take these I, other just, ones. Well, I, I can. I want to comment on the two that we just mentioned, though, or the one that we just mentioned, and also the the verse uh, out of Jeremiah eighteen. Uh, something to note is that when it, when God says these things uh, through Jeremiah, He's also in the same breath saying, "I have control over all the nations." Like all the nations are gods and regardless of who is overseeing that nation, God can still do, do what he wants. And so uh, he's also claiming the power over all nations, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, and then uh, the thing about Jonah that I also find interesting is the fact that when Jonah shows up to preach to the Ninevites, he doesn't propose it as a conditional prophecy. He just simply says in this many days, I can't remember if it's like 20 or 30 he says, Nineveh will be overthrown. And, and so one's got to wonder if, if even Jonah's packaging of that word was uh, also displaying a little bit of his own heart in there because he didn't want the Ninevites to receive God's mercy. He wanted them to be overthrown. He did not like the Ninevites. So, uh, and yet it was a conditional word because God did relent from the calamity, which he was going to bring upon the Ninevites, as it says in the text. So the next one we've got is Jehoiakim's uh, dishonorable death. And this is where I thought, I mean, this is where I was saying earlier, I think I had, had gotten something wrong. Like I had actually seen these as examples where the prophet must have just gotten it wrong. Um, but mm, text isn't quite so clear. So you have in uh, Jeremiah 22, 18 through 19, it says, uh, of Jehoiakim's death, says, no one would mourn him. 
and that his corpse would be dragged around and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem, left unburied to decompose in the sun. Uh, it was prophesied, and this is in uh, now going to verse chapter 36, verses 30 through 31. It was prophesied that no descendant of his would sit on the throne. And yet we find in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 6, it says, However, Jehoiakim received a proper, proper burial, and his son succeeded him as king. So both of the things that Jeremiah said would happen, his dishonorable death and that none of his sons would precede him, both of those things didn't come to pass. In fact, he he lived a long life. He had a proper burial and his son preceded him. What are we to do with that? Josh? I, mean, I, I just think the natural implication is the same thing that happened to Ahab. We're just not, we're not reading in between the lines. I think we're reading in between the lines here and saying there's a way to harmonize these texts. Um, we can, we have a couple options. One open theism, which is God didn't know what was going to happen, right? There's that. Um, you've, which I wholeheartedly deny. Um, you have another option that says, you know, that these prophetic words were wrong, that Jeremiah missed it. And, and though that's plausible, I, I just think that the plain reading of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18 says, Hey, if you repent, these things won't happen. And then later on in Jeremiah, he gives a prediction that doesn't happen. I think the reader who's reading the text is going to say, well, obviously the interpretation of this is this guy repented. Jeremiah clearly states that these words of judgment are conditional on repentance, comes and gives a prophetic word, doesn't happen. That must have been the conditions that were met uh, in that prophetic word. So um, I think, again, that if I'm going to harmonize the text with what I know of Scripture and other examples that I see in Scripture, the, the plain reading in between the text, if you will, is that uh, these individuals, these kings who were prophesied over, repented. Um, I think there's another example in the notes there uh, of the exact opposite of someone who has got a prophetic word of blessing and ended up dying. So Jeremiah's prophecy over Zedekiah said, you know, you will not die by the sword, but rather die peacefully. The Lord adds that people will mourn his death in Jeremiah 34, 4 through 5. And in the very same book, in Jeremiah 52, 8 through 11, it says Zedekiah was captured by the Babylonians and his eyes were plucked out and he died in prison. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of the opposite of what was prophesied. But if I'm reading in between the lines and trying to harmonize what I know that Jeremiah has already said, like in Jeremiah 18, it could be and probably is that Zedekiah uh, rebelled. And he was like, hey, God's already promised a life of prosperity and happiness and goodness. I better just live my life wild and free in any way that I want and probably you know, received judgment as a subsequent act of living loose and free. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting Matt, to know that both these... He muted himself oh, again, sorry. I think. Oh, you're oh. good. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about those Trump prophets who uh, predicted Trump and then doubled down and uh, and started claiming all their prophecies were right and, you know, and so on. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm just thinking about like, okay, you're going to die peacefully. Oh, oops, your eyes were plucked out. My prophecy was right. <laughs> Just blind. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm just making jokes to myself over here. Hey, uh, actually, I'm going to pause for a second because I just want to praise God for this. Uh, this is Grace Thompson in the chat. Um, she says uh, this talking about Rimna Radio. She says this channel got me out of the new age. And um, and she says, I cry when I think of it. Anyway, I, I just am so amazed wow. by that and thankful to it. And Grace, your first name says it all. It's all God's grace. But uh, you know, we love to dissect the Word of God. We love to just explore all the ins and outs, but that's 
that's really what this is about. We want to bring people closer to God and, uh, and we want to help people find God. So grace. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, you know, speaking also, of grace, new age, uh, we got you an email, uh, for, uh, someone who runs a lot of the admin stuff in the comment section, send us your email. We'll send you some resources. If you've just come out of the new age, we, we want to send you some, we stuff. want to help you. Yeah. We want to help you keep going, Michael. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but well, speaking of New Age, uh, there's another category of prophecy that we need to talk about, and that is the false spirit prophetic words that are demonic. Okay, so Michael, not, not before, exactly New Age, but it's uh, related in that New Age is demonic as well as these false prophets here are demonic. So there's there's demonic origins in both. But uh, I'm going to read First Kings 22, and I'll just kind of let you guys hey, uh, speak into that. I think Miller's got something. Hold on. Yeah, let me make one little comment about the last section, just because it's important to note. We just affirmed the idea that conditional prophets or prophecies do exist, but there is a limitation to what kind of conditions there are. Uh, and good, it's all, yeah. all, yeah, the only conditional prophecies that we see in scripture happen to be those that have to do with uh, God pronouncing a judgment and people repenting, or God pronouncing a blessing and people rebelling. And God is free to change his mind in those situations. And that seems to be, as far as I can tell, the only kinds of conditional words. These are not the kinds of conditions that people are claiming that are prophesying in our 2020 uh, prophecy review or 2021 or 2022. Like they're claiming conditions that we don't see in scripture. Like this idea, well, you just have to partner with the prophetic word. I don't see that in scripture. Um, other than maybe like hastening the day of the Lord's return. But again, uh, when it comes to partnering with God, you want the blessing that he promised, stay faithful. Uh, you want yeah. to remove the cursing that he promised, repent. Um, and those are the only conditions. Yeah. yeah. And that's super well, important because people are saying like, you've got to attach your prophetic word. You've got to attach your faith to this prophetic word for it to come to bat or, or all prophetic words are conditional because of this. It's like, no, there's specific criteria for prophetic words that are conditional. If they don't meet that cri criteria, it... it like there was no mass repentance of the nation, you know, or mass rebellion of the nation that would have changed a prophetic word about Donald Trump. More people were praying about that election than have been praying about any other election in all of human history. Like, that's just not how that works. So I, I would just say that those, again, prophetic words should not even be placed in this category in any way. Is that fair? Right. And... <laughs> Yes, I agree. I, I think that great input on that, guys. And then Miller, of course, you also introduced a, a major theological topic, and that is, can God change his mind? <laughs> and, um, you know, you're really quoting scripture because numerous scriptures will say things like God changed his mind. And I, I love 1 Samuel 15, uh, where it, it says something like God changed his mind about Saul being king. And then at the end of the chapter, it says God is not a man that he should change his mind. And so most theologians will say, you know, God in his omniscience, it's not like God was shocked by new input. It was like, oh my goodness. Wow. Saul turns out to be a bad dude. Wish I didn't do that. You know, like that's, that's not the picture. And so no, God knows the entirety of everything. He is omniscient, as we said, just a little bit earlier at the same time, just it, from the, the the language that a theologian would use is an anthropomorphism that that human language accommodated language helps us understand uh, just kind of God's responses to us so that human language is applied to help us understand him but in the bigger scheme and his omniscience it's not like a, a true change of mind at least that's how I would 
explain. I don't know if you guys would explain it yeah, any I mean, different. So you're using I, the, the phrase of like God wished to gather Israel like a mother hen gathers its chicks. And we don't believe that like God is some winged chicken in heaven trying to gather up Israel, right? Like it's anthropomorphized language to illustrate God's heart, his desire, what's going on in the mind of God. And when the passage of text of, of scripture, he's talking to Moses and he's like, I'm going to destroy everybody, Moses. And Moses is like, please, like, let me stand in the gap for these guys. And like, uh, what's the nation's going to say? And God's like, he's not sitting up there in heaven going like, oh my gosh, Moses, I never thought of that. Or like talking to Adam like and Eve, where are you guys at? Like God God didn't lose track of Adam and Eve. He knew where they were in the garden. And to your point, this is just anthropomorphized language uh, in order to like tell a narrative, to tell a story. Because again, you would, you'd have these ridiculous over-realized passages of, of who God is um, taken hyper-literally with a really wooden reading. I think we have to take the whole the whole text of scripture into context when we're trying to build an ontology of who God is. Miller, were you so were you going to say I, something? Yeah, I might push back on the idea that that's, that should be considered an anthropomorphism. Uh, and it's not that I disagree. This is the area where, like in the in the past, I had flirted with open theism. I, I don't agree with it today. Um, but I do leave these passages for me. I, I just don't reconcile them. I go, that's a mystery to me. And the reason why is because anthropomorphisms certainly do exist in scripture, but it's hard to say that that when it says God regretted having made Saul king, it's hard to say that that's an anthropomorphism. And the only reason I would I would qualify that, there's got to be some, some uh, clarifying markers for what is and what is not an anthropomorphism. And, and in that instance, you got to ask the question, okay, if God actually... Uh, uh, does regret something, how else is he able to tell us than to plainly state it? Um, and if right. you, well, if you automatically go ahead, Michael. Yeah. Oh, well, I do appreciate what you're saying about mystery. Cause I, I think I'm actually comfortable with theological tensions and just saying, you know what, that tension, we don't have to resolve every tension. There's a mystery. But I think for me on this Miller, what I'd say is the fact that like in the same chapter, first Samuel 15, it says the Lord changed his mind and the Lord is not a man that he should change his mind. To me, it sounds like the author is trying to to actually make a point that he is drawing that hard line and saying, okay, 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 God is still God. He doesn't mm -hmm. literally change his mind in the way that you're thinking is in the sense that it's like, oh, new input. Now I think this, oh, glad I know this new thing that I didn't know before. Like it can't be that. Um, but to your point, Miller, so I I would simply say, if the scripture draws a line, I can draw a line. And I think there are scriptures that say God doesn't change his mind. God does change his mind. However, I am comfortable with your articulation that, you know what? The scripture says he doesn't change his mind and he does change his mind. It'll say it right there in the same passage. And for you to just say, I'm settled for there to be a mystery and God is infinite and beyond comprehension. I'm actually cool with that because I, I completely agree with you on that. On that. God is <laughs> incomprehensible. It's his, just a similar harmonization. His greatness of, is unsearchable. What's that? I, I've, heard, I've heard you explain like the Proverbs, like don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then it says like a couple verses later, do answer a fool according to his folly. And like the whole <laughs> the next theme verse, of the yeah. text is is, yeah. is teaching you, hey, you, you, you need to have wisdom on how to answer this thing. So again, a hyper literal reading is like, oh, these two scriptures are contradictory. It's like, no, the scriptures are right next to each other for a reason. Like the, 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 the author is asking us to like look into the text, say law on it for a second, like think about this, meditate on this. And you're saying that in first Samuel, this very thing is taking place. 
That's right. There's a and I'm also laughing at BJ's the chat. People, are, people are yeah. making fun of our, our big words. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. But let's use small words. But, but we can't even read Old Testament names. <laughs> That's funny. He, he uh, writes anthropomorphism it. equals anthropo... I don't even know what that says. We need a, okay. syllable, All right, we need a syllable shot clock. We need to see who can say the biggest word with the most syllables, and we need to like put a scoreboard. Or just say it three times really fast on screen and see like see how many syllables we can rack up in a single show. Anyway, back to yes. it. Guys. Back to it. Yeah, but actually, if you ever just if you ever just want to get Josh to agree with you in a theological debate, just be like, it's a mystery. He, he's gonna it's be a like, mystery. Yeah, that's. Cool. If you ever want Michael cool. to agree with you on a debate, just say it's all determined. And you know, oh, what we do has nothing to, to do with anything. So life is meaningless. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey, you know what? Calvinists are cool with mystery. Uh, compatibilism. Anyway, we don't have time. It's, it's, we it's got a mystery like how God left. could ordain so much sin. Keep going, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you. All right, First Kings. He's like 22. not feeling that way in his head, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I actually hate you. All right, here it comes. <laughs> and I repent. There's literary clues that are telling Kings. you what Michael Change your mind, like. Change your mind. Proceeding. All right. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And, an and he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it to the land, uh, give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me uh, nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So I kind of imagine Micaiah speaking sarcastic, sarcastically. Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the king knows he's he's not being serious because he says what he does in verse sixteen. Tell me the truth. And verse 17, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountain. So he, so his sarcastic, in my opinion, sarcastic uh, prophecy was, yes, you'll have victory. Uh, but his actual prophecy is Israel's going to be scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no, no shepherd. And the Lord said, the, uh, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said to him, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And, and one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets. The Lord has declared di disaster for you. Gross. Guys, there's so much in this text. What's the Lord doing sending lying spirits to people? And <laughs> What's the Lord doing? <laughs> what do you make of this? People are prophet lions. Oh, well, yeah, prophet lion. So, yeah, I don't know how you non cal deal with this passage. Go for it. I just want to see you try. <laughs> also, how wild is it that, like, God sent a lying spirit to this king, and the king still, pagan king that clearly God hates, dug deep enough into testing prophecy that he actually found out God's secret intended will. Like, most uh -oh. charismatics are not as discerning as this king. Burn. Okay, keep going. Burn. <laughs> 
burn. I don't have anything to say. You're yeah. good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually don't have a I don't have a problem with this because I think the Lord has a right to send judgment and he sends it via lying spirit to a king who doesn't want to do the will of the Lord, who doesn't want to walk in obedience to the Lord. He just wants pe- he he just rather have false prophets prophesy false things, just give me peace and prosperity. Like he's not interested in uh in the Lord's real heart and obedience and his heart is hard, so the Lord sends judgment. To me this is uh, you know, I mean, the Lord sends judgment all the time. I mean, he sends judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt and on Assyria and on all kinds of places. So the Lord has every right to send judgment. And sometimes that judgment can come through a demonic being, in this case, a lying spirit. So I don't actually have a problem with that personally. I, I think the Lord in his righteousness is allowed to use demons to judge people. This yeah, is a lying we- spirit. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, we were at ETS, and there was a lady who gave a really powerful example. I don't remember her name, but we were just talking about how she gave this illustration. I'll use my kids because uh, I know their names. Um, uh, So let's say David (laughs) builds a Lego Star Wars ship, right? And he he builds this Millennium Falcon, and it's dope, okay? And his sister picks up the Millennium Falcon and throws it to the ground, and it crashes into a million pieces. Everyone who sees those events take place will go, wow, Rayma has got a pretty twisted heart, right? Like, she's... She, she did a very bad thing by destroying that Millennium Falcon, right? But what if David built the Millennium Falcon? It's his toy. It's Legos. And he picked it up and he decided, ah, I want to build something else and threw it to the ground and it shattered into a million pieces. Nobody would be upset with that, right? Because it's his to do with, right? Like he can do whatever he wants with the Legos. Um, you know, in, in that illustration, you, you say that you and I are bound by certain rules because we're playing with God's stuff, Right. God is bound by a different set of rules because it's his stuff. So if someone is, you know, uh, uh, lying, cheating, stealing, those kinds of things here on earth, there's clear cut lines of how those things are to play out and they're rooted in the nature of God. But when it appears that God is doing something similar to what we are doing, it's not always the exact same thing that God is doing. So when God allows a lying spirit to go, he's not actively the agent that's like, hear spirit speak in that mouth. There was an evil spirit that presented itself before God. uh, And it suggested, how about I go do this thing? And God goes, sure, fine. But a similar account takes place in the book of Job. And God suggests, hey, you're looking to devour people. Have you thought about Job? And he's like, you know, Job will curse you. And he goes, well, I'll remove, I'll remove my hand of protection and we'll see. And, And you, you look at that interchange and you go, God seems kind of malicious in that moment. Just remember He's the one who put the thing together. It's his stuff. He can do with it what he wants. And and I think that we sometimes transpose our humanity on God and then we judge him by those standards. And I just, I don't think that is a coherent worldview when looking at the actions of God in the mystery of his plan and how he operates. Um, all that being said, I think it's a distinct plausibility or even po- possibility or even plausibility that the prophets in 2020 weren't just prophesying falsely and weren't just prophesying with vain imagination. I think it's very possible that there was a lying spirit that filled the mouth of the prophets and they all prophesied by the by the inspiration of a demonic spirit. Amen. I mean, Dude. It's, it's at least plausible. I'm with you, Josh. Well, that was actually going to be my and question. I, here's my thing. Uh, well, let me just finish. Here's my thing, because I don't think it was just 2020, Josh. I think it was last year. And this year, like, Dang. here's my thing, because people are asking me and they're saying, I have multiple church members of mine, like reaching out like, man, uh, are, are there any right prophecies that you could just like 
you know, throw a bone to the charismatics and being like, hey, we're doing something right, <laughs> you know? And and here's here's my answer. I actually think the reason none of the prophets are getting it right for the national words, I think, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm not the Bible, okay? But I'm, so I'm giving Michael's opinion. I think it's a lying spirit because it is amazing. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of so-called prophets giving probably altogether hundreds of prophecies with a 0% batting average. I mean, this is insane. So I think this is a judgment. I think it's a judgment on the charismatic church. Now, it's not like the same as a judgment on the unbelieving world, uh, but I do think that this is a judgment of some kind, called, or maybe a discipline if you want, want to use that word. But but I think a lying spirit, and and here here's why I say that. I think that the, the Lord is not pleased with these national prophecies and national prophets. If he was, I think we'd be getting more right. And I think there can be a place for it. Acts chapter 11, Agabus predicts a famine that comes over the entire Roman world. There can be a place for it, but I think it should be rare in comparison with local church prophecy. We have one example of a national prophecy in the New Testament, but in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about it like this should happen every Sunday. Every Sunday, someone should be bringing, be bringing a teaching, someone a hymn, someone a tongue, an interpretation, and a revelation. Okay, so the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to flow freely in the Lord's Day gathering. This is an every week phenomenon that's supposed to be happening. And so I think the charismatic church needs to get back to local church prophecy. Instead of like the famous prophet who gets paid lots of money to prophesy blessing and peace and stadiums filled and revival and wealth of the nations and the transfer of wealth and Jewish calendar and all this kind of crazy stuff that we hear year after year. Instead of that, throw it all in the garbage bin. Put it in the dumpster, okay? And Charismatic Church, I want to appeal to you. Practice local church prophecy. I want to see this happening on Sunday mornings. Get I mean, this is what we have prophetic teams that are praying for people after services. We have a prophetic stage ministry every service. Go to Bridgeway Church. You can watch our prophetic. We, you know, we had somebody prophesied over last week. I get an email from it. Like this person, you know, had been a cessationist and like had their mail read on a Sunday morning. Like 1 Corinthians 14, the secrets of the hearts are revealed. Let's major in that. And then occasionally the Lord might give an actual word for somebody. Praise God when it happens. But what if that was rare by comparison with the local church? And when it's shared, what if the, the prophetic person shared it with fear and trembling? What if they shared it with this deep sense of sobriety, not just throwing mud on the wall, but actually like weighing, sifting carefully, and then putting it out there with fear and trembling? And maybe the elders of their church kind of have their backing, like, hey, man, we've all prayed about it. We really feel like this is what you can put it out. Okay, if that rare thing happens... Praise God. I, I could be okay with that. But but let's focus on local church prophecy and not the big famous, I get paid lots of money to tell you, you're going to make lots of money this year over and over and over again. I don't buy it. I th I think a good chance this is a lying spirit. I have a good friend you guys think? who may or may not be right. on this call right now who probably has a na national level prophetic word that God has shared with him. You know, that he has chosen, I'm going to bottle that mess up and not tell anybody about it because I don't feel released from the Lord. Like, do I think this is going to happen? Yeah, I do. But <laughs> but, but am I going to talk about it? I know who no. you're talking about. <laughs> it, they could so, be on this call. I don't know. Hey, Miller, uh, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, what Roundtree uh, just said? Yeah, I'm a little bit hesitant to to say that it's uh, that I think it's a lying spirit although the possibility is entirely there. I, I do think it falls into line with the um, thing that Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah 23, 16 through 22, 
where it's basically people are fabricating. Says, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. I will burst open the, the head of the way. I mean, there's so much you can get on on this. But let me, but let me just all, explain a couple things about this. Well, it, it's from their imagination. But there's also, if I was to, within these two different passages, the one with the false spirit, this is towards an unrepentant nation who's practicing godlessness. I mean, they're worshiping other gods. The other uh, is from those who, who really are just in it for themselves. And so I actually think a lot of these people that are prophesying 2020, a lot of them that are prophesying in 2021, I mean, all the things that we've been reviewing, I think a lot of this comes from their own imagination. And I, I think it's because there's an underlying belief system within the charismatic church, which I would say is Christian by and large. Like these are these are people that genuinely want to serve God, um, but I think they have a wrong view of what faith is, and they would see mm -hmm. faith as making a declaration and causing something to come to pass, as opposed to the way you and I uh, on the podcast here we would at the Remnant Radio we would say faith is trust in a person, come whatever may, uh, and and like Josh had said earlier, um, and I'll quote John Wimber as sort of a, a parallel to what Josh had said earlier. You know, I'm just changing God's pocket; He can spend me any way He wants. I think. Um, these guys are are prophesying things because they want these things to happen. I don't think that they are as guilty of the kinds of sins that we see in the passage that Michael quoted from First Kings. Uh, but I do think they're wrong. I do think they're deeply wrong, and we should stop following them. I'm just yeah. not willing to say that it's a lying spirit um, because of it. But I do think yeah. they're making stuff up. Well, I think you make great points, Miller, and i I think that it might not be a lying spirit, but I think it might be a lying spirit. And honestly, from a distance, I don't even know. I don't know if these people are saved. I mean, some of them I feel like are probably saved. and But I don't know. I mean, some of them are really lost in the prosperity gospel, and the prosperity gospel isn't a real gospel. So well, I, Kenneth Copeland, to I, we're going to name and agree. Like, I, I think he's yeah, got a lying spirit. Okay. It's very different. So it probably, uh, it probably just depends. But it, I, I would say that it's either a lying spirit or they're fabricating. The suggestion, though, that it is a lying spirit could be that there are so many in unison saying the same thing. Uh, with that yeah. said, if they're true believers, and you know, we're being speaking in great generalities here, I really don't like you know surmising on whether someone's a true believer or not from a distance if I've never met them. But um, I guess this does raise a question: Do either of you think because? I agree with you, Miller. I think the people who got lying spirits in the scripture were, they were like false prophets. They were, they were unbelievers. And we don't have enough examples of lying spirits in the Bible, perhaps to say definitively, but do you guys think that it's possible for a lying spirit to speak through a Christian? Or is that only a judgment yeah, that a non-Christian yeah, can I, have? I, I think it can happen in both directions. But I just I think when God is bringing a judgment on a nation, a lying spirit would be the the way to go about it. And then when God is uh, not speaking at all, and people are speaking from their own imaginations, then it should be a, a rebuke when when they keep getting it wrong and nothing's happening. Like that that's I think that's one step away from God then bringing a massive judgment on the church. And and God willing, He will. I actually think we need reform. Like we really do. Um, 
I don't think these people should be prophesying and they're unrepentant about their fabrications. Yeah, here's the, the passage that I always go to church. in 2 Corinthians 1, 11, 4, sorry. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if one receives a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So he starts off his book talking about the Hagios, the Holy Ones, the Church of Corinth, and then he says, you put up with other spirits. Is it possible that there is another spirit manifesting um, uh, through a prophetic word in the church of God and you, the Hagios, are putting up with it? I think it's possible. I think that's why we're told yeah, quite, to test the spirits. Um, you know, Paul writes to the church of Galatia and says, hey, and even quite if probable. an angel. We'll say it again. Well, I was going to say, yes, it's possible, but even quite probable today yeah. that that's happening. Yeah, I mean, the, the, Paul says, if an angel appears to you and preaches another gospel, right? So he's not even saying that a spirit can't reveal itself or manifest or predict or communicate with a Christian. He's claiming that it can happen. And in fact, he calls him an angel of light, you know, um, comes in, in, in you know, angels, uh, angels of darkness portray themselves as angels of light in other texts of scripture. In Galatia, he says, hey, look, man, uh, if they preach another gospel, like they're cursed, they're damned for destruction. So is it possible that a Christian could um, you know, be enticed or drawn away by an angel of darkness portraying itself as an angel of light, a false or lying spirit. Man, it's totally possible. Um, but, but again, we're told to test every prophetic word, to test every prophetic word. I think this comes down to the, and I'm going to get ecclesiological with us here. Hey, that's a big word with lots of syllables. Um, uh, but the, <laughs> Uh, ecclesiological You're here. Get churchy here. I think I think uh, a lot of us are looking to the leaders of the church. We're looking to the Dr. Michael Browns. We're looking to our senior pastor to clean up this mess. But I just remem- remind you that like Second Corinthians is written to the church of Corinth, and he says, "Get your stuff together. Like figure figure your mess out." Um, and he tells the whole church to do it. Um, and I would, I would just encourage people, like if, if you're out there, like start writing messages to that Christian publisher, um, start, start doing something in your local church, start raising awareness, ask your pastor to talk about these things, start figuring out how you can test prophetic words, like treat this as a serious thing. Because I think the reason this stuff keeps happening is people just aren't testing prophecy in any meaningful way. And, and this stuff just keeps propagating itself, selling more books, getting more views, getting more clicks. I'm thrilled. Guys. Guys like Mario Murillo are releasing prophetic, like calling people out. Rebukes. Like, he, yeah, he's rebuking yeah. guys like Hank Kuhneman and Kat Curry, even though he's kind of not mentioning their names. Jeremiah Johnson just released a video on false he, prophecy he that I watched them. today. Like, you need to, like, we, we need more more voices like this, platforming things like this, sharing things like this, talking like really hard balls and strikes. And I think one of the areas, the charismatic com- community has just been complacent, allowing it to happen because we don't want to touch the Lord's anointed. We think only the man of power for the hour is called uh, to do what's right in the moment of need. We only really believe that it, this is for a select group of people who hear from God and we can't be involved in the process. And I think that we've we've dug ourselves our own grave here. And we can claim, yeah, hey, I, all the prophets are doing the bad thing and they have a lying spirit. But like we're tolerating it. We're putting up with it. And I, uh, I think I think we need point. to fight back a little bit harder. Yeah, I, I think that there's just like this moment in kind of like the history of the, say, Western church and experience of the gifts where it's like continuate charismatics came out and it was like got so much heat from cessationists at the time, like 
15, 20 years ago and more where it was just like, you were crazy if you were charismatic. I mean, it's so much heat that it was like charismatics kind of went to the other side and like throw discernment out the window because look what it did to us. We got so many arrows in our backside. Like I, I think it's, it's time for charismatics to kind of come back and say, I think that was an overreaction. Like, yes, you caught a lot of heat, but the solution to maybe being harshly criticized by other Christians is not criticize nothing. <laughs> the solution is just, just walk into sermon. You, you don't have to be a hater, but you don't have to be gullible either. And so let's just walk into sermon. And, uh, and we can be kind when we walk into sermon. We can be loving when we walk into sermon. Um, but I, I think regardless of whether this is a lying spirit or whether people are making it up, the three of us are in unison saying on this show, the charismatic church needs reform. We've got to yeah. stop doing these national words like we're doing. We need to approach prophecy with fear and trembling, not just throwing prophetic words out there intermixed with the prosperity gospel, not just throwing prophetic words out there that are the same year after year. No, get prophecy going in your local church. Let's stir up a gift in that context. And for anything national, let's, let's move in fear and trembling. And, uh, and let's show a little discernment and let's test prophecy like First Thessalonians 5, and let's not throw stones at those who are testing prophecy as though testing prophecy is the problem. And uh, like, stop throwing stones at prophets. I'm going to throw stones at you. Wait, what? <laughs> so let's just stop that and, and let's walk into sermon. So I think that's, we're, we're kind of, we're about 15 minutes over almost on, on this show, 10 minutes. So probably about time, but I guess that could constitute a closing comment for me. You guys have anything you, you want to close oh, out with? I already ranted. Miller, you got anything? Uh, no, I've got no more rants left in me. Okay. We're, we're yeah. rantless. Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. If you enjoyed this program, maybe consider subscribing to the channel. There's a big red subscribe button at the bottom of this video. Go ahead and smash that button. Maybe hit the like button so that you get bumped up in the light algorithms when we come out with videos. You can kind of see our content. That'd be nice. Uh, but also, if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a recurring gift on Patreon. As well as five bucks a month, you get access to extra content. <gasps> Oxygen. Um, next week, what do we have going on next week? We've got some cool shows going on next week. I'm going to open up my calendar. I've got oh, dude, Steve I'm Wellum. I know on Monday, Stephen mm -hmm. Wellum talking about, it's going to be kind of like an Old Testament, New Testament conversation. Just how do we wrestle through, uh, you know, Mosaic Covenant versus New Covenant versus Davidic Covenant, a Abrahamic Covenant, and so on. How do these all come together? And just how do we read these other parts of the Bible, uh, pre-New Covenant. So it, it just it's going to be really good. And uh, so definitely encourage you guys to check that out on Monday. And honestly, guys, I can't remember what our Wednesday show is. Next our Wednesday week. show is By His Stripes, We Are Healed. We're going to be responding Ooh. to some cessationist and or non- non-biblical interpretations as uh, kind of aggressive um, ways of reading that text and saying that's not about physical healing. It's about emotional healing or it's about some kind of salvation application where we'd say, hey, Bible's pretty clear on this and we'll respond to it talking about how healing is in the atonement. We kind of already talked about it a little bit in other ways, but we're going to be responding to teachers in that one. So that'll be fun. Anyway, guys, be blessed and highly flavored and we will see you next week from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Blessings.
Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.